Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Cross Church, and Happy New Year to all those I haven't seen since last year, which was last Sunday, I guess. (laughs) Well, today we start a new series that will go for three weeks, and you can see that it's entitled Moving Forward, Pursuing God in 2019. So as we start this new year, I, I love this picture here. It's erasing the old 2018 and now starting to focus on 2019. Of course, being the first Sunday in January, it's a great time to think about the new year ahead. Put the past behind us and strive to become more like Jesus in this new year. So that's going to be the center of my message this morning, focus and what we need to focus on. But I don't know about you, but I love the thought of being there, right there. I you know, forget the New Year stuff for a second. The thought of being by the ocean, somewhere where it's warm, somewhere where it's hot, uh, that's my idea of where I'd love to be right now. Uh, I know we've had some mild weather this winter, but uh, for those that love winter, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I am not a big winter fan, been here most of my life, but anyway, that's what it is. So January always brings with it a message of Focus on the new year ahead. And you'll see where I'm going with this just in a second here. But today's topic, it got me strangely thinking about this. The Olympics, okay? Uh, Now, there aren't any Olympics this coming year. We have to wait till 2020 for the Olympics to be in Tokyo. But anyway, I was thinking about uh, this Sunday's message and the Olympics came to mind. So just over 10 years ago, the summer of 2008, hard to believe it's been this long already, but China hosted the Summer Olympics that summer for the very first time. And it was a pretty controversial thing leading up to it. I won't get into that right now, but um, there's a few very, very memorable things that happened at the Olympics in 2008. Of course, the most notable would be that the fastest man in the world started his domination that particular year, Usain Bolt setting new world records and winning gold in the 100 and the 200 meter and winning gold also with his Jamaican team in the 4 by 100. He became and still is one of the most famous names and faces in the entire world. And you may recognize, I'm not doing a very good job of it, I'm sure, but you may recognize this particular pose, the <laughs> right Usain Bolt, you know, that's him doing that thing. Anyway, there also was another great athlete this particular Olympics, and that was Michael Phelps, who won eight gold medals, the most gold medals ever by an individual athlete at one Olympic Games. The previous record was seven, and that was set in 1972. But being a proud Canadian, I'm sure you as well, it's always exciting to see Canada win medals. And in 2008, Canada came through with 20 medals, three gold nine silver and eight bronze. But there's one particular event that was really exhilarating and really memorable, um, maybe for a lot of us, for me in particular, for sure. Just one of those great moments that gets you up off your seat in front of the TV, cheering and yelling, go, you can do it. I know you can, right? right? And the TV's right here, right? I know you guys have been there. Don't, don't make fun of me. I know you've been there too. My kids know I've done that many times. Well, this is what came to mind for me. The great triathlon and famous Canadian athlete, Simon Whitfield, he was in the race there that year in 2008. Now, he had won gold in the 2000 games in Australia where the triathlon actually made its debut in the Olympics. 
Uh, well, in Beijing 2008, the triathlon, Simon was doing quite well throughout the entire race. But it was really in the third part of the race, the run, that really caught my attention, people's attention in general. So after swimming one and a half kilometers, then biking 40 kilometers, these guys now have to run another 10K. And it was at this point in the run that Simon had fallen behind a little bit. The heat and the humidity was extremely high, 28 degrees plus, but the humidity was over 80%. One article captured the moment so well, it said his lungs are searing with pain and his heart feels like it's going to explode out of his chest as it pounds 180 beats a minute. The heat rises to stifling conditions. The sweat is just pouring down his face. With 500 meters to the finish line, he is in fourth place, and he's quite a distance back from the top three positions. Now, in an interview later, Whitfield admitted he originally had talked himself into the fact that he would be okay coming in fourth place. The lead pack was a solid 40 or 50-plus meters ahead of him, and he had less than one kilometer run. And he had already won gold in Sydney. He thought, you know what, I'm done here today. These guys have got me this time. And this is kind of what happened to him four years before in the 04 Olympics in Athens. Coming in as the favorite from Sydney, from winning his gold there four years before, he fell behind in the 04 games in Athens, giving into the fact that he couldn't win and you know what, he never did recover and he finished well back. In Beijing, he said after that he remembered at that moment how deeply he regretted giving in in the Athens games and he promised himself he would never, never do that again. So, in that instant, Simon regained his focus, his real focus, and he dug in deep to find some unbelievable determination. And the article continues, no matter what happens, he knows he will give everything he has to win. He tells, him, tell, he tells himself, it's time to go for it. And Simon uses all the energy he has left to try and capture this special moment in time. He accepts his own challenge, and along with that, he anticipates the suffering that he will have to endure for this next 500 plus meters. Now, I don't know about you, if you remember this, but this next moment was truly epic. Gritting his teeth, Simon, you can see him wearing his visor over there, he takes that visor off, and he whips it to the ground, that famous hat whip, and then he begins a full-on, no-holds-barred sprint. And I'm talking after all the biking, swimming, and running he's done. He is sprinting as fast as he can. It was unbelievable. With amazing tenacity and determination, he astonishingly chases down the top three racers. And then, with superhuman effort, he even takes the lead. Now, amazingly... He is in the lead. Simon sees the finish line. It's just 20 or so meters ahead, and there's no one in front of him. What an incredible comeback. What guts. What determination. Until he hears the breathing and the heavy footsteps of the German racer Jan Frodeno coming from behind. 
right close to the finish. Simon can't dig any deeper. He had just passed all three of those guys, but the big German athlete passes Whitfield right at the end. Simon had used every last bit of energy he had, but can't close the gap to first place. Still, Whitfield finished just seconds behind, and he captures a heroic silver in the triathlon event in the 08 Beijing Games. You know what? He was in a world of agony at this point. He could barely see with the sweat dripping in his eyes, let alone think when the big German competitor lunged in front of him to take the gold right at the end. So it was silver for Canada, but the article finishes saying, perhaps the sweetest silver medal in Canadian Olympic history. And I would agree. What a story. You know, events like that, races like that, really are exciting and inspiring. You know, I'm sure we are all pretty much on the same page when it comes to cheering for an athlete or for a team that we're cheering for. Cheering for them can give us a great sense of pride, can't it? And even a sense of success ourselves. And actually, there is a theory called basking in reflected glory, if you've ever heard of this before, or burging. It means people can often boost their own self-esteem by living vicariously through others' successes. Dr. Ed Hurt, a professor of psychology at Indiana University, he said, if the competitor or team performs well that you're cheering for, you as a fan can bask in their success due to the allegiance you have with them. So in a sense, like we won, right? So uh, note the name is basking in reflected glory. So the success is not their own. The individual did not help or earn it themselves. Burging is a concept that when someone pairs themselves with another's success, they get an increase in their own self-esteem. Well, we'll look at Burging a little bit later, but let's go back to Simon Whitfield here for a moment. So he's a triathlete who trained with exceptional dedication. He endured the monotony of his routine. He stuck with it for years. He trained harder and harder. He suffered some setbacks, some losses, But through it all, he had his eye on being the best, winning at the top levels in his sport. And he even used that memory of quitting on himself in the 04 games as fuel during those last 500 meters, this famous race in 08 Beijing Olympics. And now, Simon Whitfield, he's retired from the sport, but he is one of Canada's most famous athletes, having won gold and maybe the sweetest silver medal in Canadian Olympic history. Now, does that inspire you? You know, maybe some of you here today have been very successful in sports, but I guess most of us are on the burging team, I'm sure, living in the glory of great athletes, and when the Jets make the playoffs, we say, we made the playoffs, right? Or we are going to go all the way to the Stanley Cup this year, right? But now, seriously, getting back on track, let's go take a look at what the Bible says, and Apostle Paul in particular. Apostle Paul wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, and he actually references sports a few times. So having lived in the first century, he would have been familiar with the Olympic Games at that time, and probably more familiar with the games that took place just outside of Corinth called the Isthmian Games. They were very well known, just a notch below the Olympics. Now, Paul had traveled to Corinth in his second missionary trip, and he stayed there for a few years. 
then after leaving Corinth and in the future, some correspondence back to the church there, Paul wrote this that we find in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And this is from the Amplified Bible. And it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run their very best to win, but only one receives the prize? Run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now, athletes who go into training and compete in the games, they are disciplined and exercise self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive a crown that won't wither. Therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and I make it my slave. Now, the Corinthians, again, would have been used to seeing or knowing about athletes, all their training and all their preparation for these games. So Paul draws here a visual comparison for the Corinthian church of these athletes and what they as followers of Christ need to do in their own lives. Paul is, of course, encouraging the Corinthians to make sure they keep their focus, that they are disciplined, strictly stay on course in their daily training and their journey with Christ. Well, let's go to another verse that Paul wrote referencing athletes and races. If you turn a few books further in the New Testament to the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, so this is Philippians 3, 13 and 14, and Paul writes here, he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, the amazing thing is that this is coming from Paul, a man who had quite a life. Paul had it all at one point. He was a top man in the Jewish culture, probably had traveled extensively, uh, I'm sure was very well-known, very educated, very educated, and very successful. Then he has this amazing encounter with the living God, and his religion turns into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's amazing how Paul's life changed. You know, in 1 Timothy, Paul admits how lost he was before, how wrong he was, how really evil and sinful he was. He never really got over the fact that he persecuted those who had believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And Paul even wrote this in 1 Corinthians 59, that I am the least of the apostles, actually not even fit to be called an apostle, because I so persecuted the church of God. Paul was responsible for overseeing, get this, not just the persecution, but the torture and the death of many Christians. You know, how many times must Paul have thought to himself and asked himself, how could I, being so highly educated in the law, having studied studied all the prophets, how could I have been so blind and not recognized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah? But this is what Paul says now, knowing all that about himself, his great success and his amazing failure. He says, I am determined to focus on one thing now. I am going to forget the past, all the good, all the bad. 
I am going to focus on what now is in front of me. I am going to dig deep. I'm going to look for that immense determination to press on, to reach out for, to continue striving for the goal. Day after day, I am going to be determined to not quit, no matter what pain may come my way. Paul says, I want to make it through to the end to receive the heavenly prize, the prize that his Lord Jesus is calling him to. And this morning, I'm encouraging us all that are here, what we can do, what, or sorry, we can do the same thing. We can call on Jesus and he can do the same thing in our life as well, right here this morning. Now, as we look at this verse, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. What things do we need to forget? What things do we need to forget in our lives? Okay, I know maybe we really don't ever forget certain things that happen in our lives, so maybe a better way of saying is it saying is, what do we need to leave behind today? There are a few things that we need to leave behind that I'll talk about here. Like Paul, we need to leave behind our sin and our mistakes. You know, I think this is one that we really understand very well, but we can also really struggle with this one the most. We need to decide to let go of our guilt and our sin. We feel guilty for the bad things we've done. And listen, before you think you're too bad, look at what Paul has done in his life. I'm guessing that no one in this room can come anywhere close to claim the brutality and the evil that Paul had lived out. He was responsible for affecting probably thousands of lives, throwing many people in jail, torturing them, seeing them killed. Paul would have severely affected the lives of thousands of family members, leaving many, many families with scars for a lifetime, having had to watch their loved ones imprisoned, or even having to watch their loved ones killed for their faith. But Jesus changed Paul's life incredibly, and he can change your life and my life too. So we need to leave behind our guilt. And what else do we need to leave behind? Well, we also need to leave behind our failure. We all experience failure. And we can feel really bad when we failed. And maybe we were even trying to do something good when we failed. Maybe we made an investment hoping to help our family and only to see it turn out really sour. Maybe we tried to talk, someone, talk to someone, someone that we've had a difficult relationship with, only to see things get even worse. You see, the harsh reality is when we mess up, yes, we are only human after all, but when we mess up, it's likely that we are not in step with God. We are not focused on the one main thing, Christ himself. So we mess up no matter what our motives were. We take things into our own hands, whether they're cheating on a test, lying to our parents, or maybe stealing something, or even if we are trying to make things better for our own family, but make an unwise decision. If we haven't done things God's way, if we aren't consulting him day by day by day, we need to ask God for forgiveness. And of course, the great news of the gospel, the essence of following Jesus, is that you can get back on track with his help. You can regain your focus with his help. You can start again. He can give you a second chance. And in John 1, 9, we read these famous words. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he can and be depended on to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. And I love this verse found in Psalm 32, 5. It says, My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So we need to be serious about coming to God to forgive us. Leave behind our sin. Leave behind our mistakes, all of our failures. But another thing is, we also need to leave behind our successes. And that's what Paul did. Again, he was a very, very successful man. And it doesn't matter what we feel our successes are. Financially, travel, jobs, family, our influence, our titles. Paul even writes a few verses before in verse 8 that considering all his accomplishments, his elite status in the Jewish faith, his affluent family, his titles, Paul says of it all, it's all worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I, Paul, now have discarded everything else, all those things, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. No, just think for a moment. Uh, Where do you place your accomplishments in your own mind? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. If you were to put Jesus on a scale compared to your successes, what would that look like? And Paul also mentions how educated he was. Now, don't get me wrong. Being educated is essential, of course, and very, very important. But when it takes over, when it becomes the one focus the one main thing, being so educated can really be one of the most destructive traps, right, if we let it. So often people who are very educated think they know best, they can do everything themselves, and the scales tip out of balance and very heavily into their own hands. I think many educated people can start thinking that just because they even believe something, it has to be true, and those that oppose them are ignorant or even worse, hateful. You know, I have a friend who works in the Bay Area in California in investments, and he works with the brightest and the smartest, the most educated from around the world, dealing with millions, tens of millions of dollars. And he always says to me that the people who graduate from great places like Harvard, Yale, Oxford, you you name it, top universities around the world, He says they're really smart, they're very, very educated, very, very knowledgeable. But, listen to this, they often have little or no common sense. We can't rest on our education, our our past or present glories, maybe the job we have or once had, the money we we have or once had, even the family we have or, or once had. And even going further, success can often lead us to become entitled, can't it? Just think of the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. The older brother thought he was good enough. He was accomplished in his father's house. So he was the one who deserved the party, not his failure of a brother. The older brother had absolutely no compassion for others, especially for his own sibling. He was not happy when his brother came back asking for help. You know what? He should have been thrilled at the wise choice his brother was finally making. You know, our human nature is 
when we succeed, we are better than others and we deserve the praise. You know, we need to rejoice when others succeed. And even more importantly, we need to help others succeed. This is walking with Christ, seeing others through his eyes. Okay, and you know what else? What else we can't even rest with? We can't even rest with our own past experiences with God himself. You know what? We may have had some great experiences with God. Amazing, life-changing. And we use those as landmarks, as they can be a great source of encouragement for us in our journey with God. But we don't live in the past, no matter what we're talking about. You know, I hear some people talk, or I've read things about great things that people have done or have seen done in the church or experienced in their lives in the past with God. And my question is, what are you doing now? Or what are you experiencing now? Where is your life with Christ now? I know people who have experienced great miracles as well. And at the time, they are in true awe of God's power. But slowly over time, that fades as their focus dims on Christ. Our walk with God has to be current. It has to be daily. Okay, so to recap so far, we've said with God's help, we need to leave behind our messes, our sin, the bad things we've done. We need to let go and leave God our failures. We need to leave that behind. We also need to leave behind our education, our successes, not even live in past glories of what God has done or live based on what we are able to accomplish. You know, it's often difficult to leave failures behind. We think we can never overcome them and can never be good enough or never be good enough for God. Or it's difficult to leave success behind because we think we have overcome failure and we are good enough for God, maybe even good enough to not need God. In either case, we need to leave all of our lives behind. Ask God to forgive us. Give us a new start. And like the old chorus says, we need to forget about ourselves, the good, the bad, everything. We need to concentrate on him and worship him. Now, there's one other thing I want to mention here this morning that we need to leave behind. And this can be a difficult one. But we need to leave behind our hurts. For a lot of people I know, the past holds a lot of hurt. Maybe a difficult childhood, a failed marriage. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe lost a loved one tragically. Very painful experiences that still linger in our lives today. And I mentioned earlier about failures. Well, sometimes those failures are due to someone else's wrongdoing that has affected us so negatively. These hurts can be very, very damaging. And sometimes the hurts lead us to getting hurt again and again. Many of us know people who are very reasonable. That is, until they say they have a very good reason for why they can't move forward in life anymore. So take, for instance, a person who has endured multiple or bad relationships or bad marriages. Uh, he is certain that because of these relationships, he's now stuck. He's in a terrible spot and he can't move on. Isn't it difficult to watch that person become attracted yet again to the same type of person with whom he just ended a bad relationship? You know, for some strange reason, we often choose not to let go, don't we? But you know what? Each of us has a powerful choice. We have 
the ability to change our future by choosing to surrender to God's will for our lives. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, when asked about the journey of a Christ follower, he wrote this, We must always obey the mandate, onward, onward, onward. So in order to get on with our future and our lives, we must choose to make a clean break. And we must leave the past behind. And that includes those painful experiences. All the hurts we've experienced in our lives, just as Paul did. Imagine him thinking about all the lives that he has so greatly affected, so so much damage that he's caused. God truly is the Almighty God. And he not only can but he will help you. Listen to this promise from God in Isaiah 41. Verse 10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And then we go to verse 13 says, For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Now, this is an amazing image. You see in verse 10, God says, he will hold you up by his right hand. And 13, God says, he will hold you by your right hand. So you have to picture this. What happens when two people put their right hands together? We are facing each other. So picture this. You are holding God's hand. He's holding yours. You are facing God Almighty. God is not somewhere deep in the past behind you. He's not way out in the distance in front of you. He's not just up up in heaven waiting to hit you with a stick every time you make a mistake. No, when you are in a right relationship with God, He is standing right in front of you, holding your hand. He's protecting you. And most important, He's looking right at you. Get your eyes on Him this morning. Get in the habit of reading his word, the Bible, to hear from him every single day. We need to choose to leave the past behind. Let go of our faults. Let go of our failures, our mistakes, our sin, no matter what it is. And yes, our successes too, past and current. We need to leave behind even our hurts and begin living a life filled with new possibilities. Well, going back to look at this verse in Philippians here again, you know, thinking of January, January always brings about the idea of making New Year's resolutions, doesn't it? And they're not bad, but, you know, really, we don't need to be making these New Year's resolutions each and every year. What we really need to do is make one single resolution, and that is to follow Jesus. Forget the past. Leave it behind. Make him your one main focus, your one thing. Press on and be determined to know Jesus more. Become like Jesus more every day. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, the youth that were on the trip to Banff last summer, we learned together this verse, and it says, Luke, 20, uh, Luke 9, 23, 24, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
but if you give your life for my sake, you will save it. And Henry Moore wrote this. He said, we need to think in terms of each and every day's resolutions, not the year. We need to make a resolution to pick up our cross daily. You know, in closing, the questions I think we have this morning for you and for me are, what is it that we need to leave behind this year? Is there maybe a sin in your life that you can't shake? A failure in your life that you keep reliving? Maybe a hurt that still haunts you? Or are your successes in life squeezing out your desire for God? And uh, what are you going to make your one focus this year? You know what? I pray that it will be Jesus. And then how are we going to reach for the prize this year? The prize of a life filled with passion because we're in such a close walk with our Lord. The prize of eternal life with Jesus. You know, I pray you won't settle for status quo in 2019. Maybe you come to church once in a while. Why not think about coming to church more often? Why not get into a small group? Or maybe if you're in a small group, you need to commit to attending that group more regularly. Maybe you need to sign up to serve, or maybe it's starting to tithe, or tithe more, trusting God with your finances. And most importantly, probably all of us need to commit to reading our Bibles more often. Don't settle for the status quo. Be determined to be focused on becoming more like Christ in 2019. Maybe being less angry, less agitated, less worried, less lonely, more loving, more generous, more kind, more grateful, more patient. A few years ago, we did the one-word challenge. Maybe some of you would have remembered that. The one word that God had put on your heart and your mind to make a change. Well, this morning, what do you need to do to move forward in your personal relationship with Jesus? Can I just ask you to maybe close your eyes just for a few minutes as I wrap up here today? You know, this is really about listening to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you? What do you need to let go of? Think about that for a moment. What do you need to let go of today in 2019? And how can God, God Almighty, how can he help you? How can he help you change and grow? You know, why not consider taking action and here are a few great ideas. One, why not fast and pray about it? Focus on God and give up food for a day, maybe two, three days. Let that hunger remind you that you want to hear from him that you're really serious. And another one is be accountable. Spouses, don't let each other off the hook. Parents, keep your kids accountable. Or in your small group, find a partner, someone that can keep you accountable. When we choose to let go of the past, our failures, our mistakes, our sins, when we are able to not cling to our successes, and when we're able to let go of our hurts and focus on the one main thing and walk in a close, personal relationship daily with our Lord and Savior, Listen to this promise in Psalm 32, verse 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. 
do what it takes to let go today and walk closely with God. Make Jesus your one main thing, your one daily focus. You will not regret it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. That no matter what we've been through in the past, the good, the bad, Lord, that we can leave it all behind with you working in our lives. When we commit to making a daily walk with you, God, that you have a great plan for our lives. Just like Paul, leaving his great success, his amazing failures, all the hurts that he has caused in thousands of lives, God, that he was able to leave it behind, to focus on you, and to make an impact on millions of people for the rest of, of, of people's lives through all the centuries ahead. God, you had an amazing plan for him, and that's because he chose to listen to you, lay it all beside, make you his one main thing. And God, you can do that same in each and every one of our lives. You want to help us. You want us to hold your hand. You want to hold our hands. You want to look at us. You want us to look at you and focus on you and trust you completely. And with that, God, you have an amazing plan for our lives. We know that you do. So I pray, God, that today, that as we leave, as we go home, whatever we're doing, that we will take time to stop and really think about this, to your Holy Spirit would convict us to want to make a change, to be able to let go and make 2019 a different year for us and that we would see an amazing change in our lives and the plan that you have for us as we walk daily with you. So go with us now, Father, and we look forward to what 2019 has in store for each and every one of us with your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. If any of you want to talk or pray with us,